Well, we're at the very end of a series called Fresh Start. And uh, over the last couple of weeks in the series, we've been looking at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 23 and 24. This is the very end of a letter that Paul is writing to a church of Jesus followers in a city called Thessalonica. And at the end of the letter, he gives this summary. Literally, this is the last thing that he writes to them before he gives some specific shout-outs to individuals. And uh, let, let's just read it. It says, Now may the God of peace make you holy in every way. That this is God's intent. Your heavenly father, his desire for you is that you would be holy in every way. We talked about the word holy a couple weeks ago. Holy means to take from that which is mundane and average, to take it out and to set it apart for a noble purpose. And that's what God wants for you. In a world of average, and a world of mundane, God wants to take you and set you apart for a purpose that is so much better, so much greater than what you can imagine. Holiness isn't a bad word. Holiness isn't something to be avoided. Holiness is something that followers of Jesus should pursue because in holiness, God is causing us to look more and more like him. Holiness is about growing our faith. Holiness is, is, about, um, is about being formed spiritually. And holiness has some, has some upside to it. I mean, in addition to everything I just said, holiness causes my relationships to be healthier. Holiness causes me to flourish in life, to experience the fulfillment that God wants for me. And so Paul, at the end of this letter, he says, now, may the God of peace make you holy, not just on Sunday mornings, but in every way, in every part of your life, in every compartment of your life. He says, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. That Jesus is coming again. And part of what God is wanting to do in this meantime is to cause our spirit, and we talked about our spirit is where the presence of God resides, and our soul is our thinking and our emotions and our will, and our body is this temporary dwelling place, right? He, he says God, want, God wants that to be set apart for himself because he's coming back again. And he's looking for a people who would be ready. And then he finishes by saying, God will make this happen. For he who calls you is faithful. Listen, you don't have to, you, you don't have to strive, like, like, like this doesn't have to be an angst type of thing. But this, this can be just going along and, and cooperating with the Spirit of God. Now this doesn't mean that, that we just sit in a fetal position and let God like, do this and we don't have to do anything. Like We have to cooperate with what God is doing. So last week I started talking about different ways that God uses to form us spiritually, to grow our faith, to make us holy, whatever, whatever phrase you want to use for that, that there's several ways that God uses to do this. And, and I brought a backpack because we realized, I want you to understand, this doesn't just happen overnight, this is a journey. And, and we have to cooperate, we have to be ready to cooperate with him in the long term on this. And so we, we talk about several things that God uses let me unzip this. And the first one, and if you've been around church world, this isn't a shock. The first one is the word of God. That God uses scripture to form us spiritually. We looked at uh, a letter that Paul wrote to Timothy. And in that letter he says that, that God uses scripture to teach us, to rebuke us, to correct us, to train us. So that the, the people of God might be thoroughly equipped for every good work. That God wants to, he wants to equip us, he wants to prepare us. And, and, and scripture is so important. And if you're, if you're intimidated by scripture, if, if, if reading the Bible is something that, that, is, that is difficult for you and, and, and you've tried it and it hasn't worked out, I want to challenge you, find someone who is a couple steps ahead of you spiritually and ask them to help you. 
And I think sometimes if we just show a little humility and, and admit, man, I'm not as good at this as I want to be. Would you help me? Man, God will use that for your benefit. But the primary way that God wants to grow your faith, that he wants to shape you spiritually, is through scripture. Last week we talked about a second thing that, that God uses to form us spiritually is through personal disciplines. And we looked at Matthew chapter 6, and in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus talks about three specific disciplines. He talks about giving, he talks about praying, and he talks about fasting. And in each one of those places, he says, first of all, this should be done privately like you shouldn't be doing this just to show off this isn't for the benefit of others this is for your heavenly father and it is to grow you spiritually and in each instance as he's talking about giving and praying and fasting he says listen your heavenly father sees what you do in private which is huge I mean if he just stopped right there that's incredible that the God who created the universe out of 7.5 billion people who live on this planet that when I pray when I give when I fast that God sees that that's incredible right not only that not only does he see that but he blesses it he says he rewards you he sees you but he also rewards you now Jesus repeats this three times as he's talking about these personal disciplines which is a big deal and so that was the second, the second way that God grows us is through personal disciplines. And then the third thing that we talked about last week was through key relationships. That when I talk to people who, who, who are holy, you know, these men and women, hopefully you've got people in your life who are just, they've been following Jesus for decades, and they followed Jesus through good times and bad times, and you see their faith, you know, and they're, they're patient, and they're loving, and they're full of self-control. And when you sit down with them and you ask them, man, how— how did God grow you? How did you get this kind of faith? They will talk about key relationships in their life. For Paul, Paul would, if, the, if you were talking to the Apostle Paul, you know, 2,000 years ago, he would point to a relationship with a guy named Barnabas. If you're sitting down talking to Timothy, the pastor of the church in Ephesus, he would point to a relationship with St. Paul, right? Like, Key relationships are so vital, and you need to have key spiritual relationships in your life. And I can't give those to you, and, and, and I didn't say this last week, but I can't even be that for you all. It's humanly impossible for me to be, to be each of your key spiritual relationship. But what we can do as a church is we can create environments that are conducive to finding those spiritual relationships, and we call those life groups. And if you haven't gotten to be a part of a life group yet, I, I just want to really encourage you to do that. Well, today we're going to talk about two more. And our fourth one, if you're following along, the, what I've got in my backpack here is a towel. And we want to talk about the, one of the ways that God forms us spiritually, how he makes us holy, is through serving. In fact, it is when we are serving that we most closely resemble the one that we claim to follow because Jesus came not to be served, but to serve. And we have so many illustrations that we could use from scripture of Jesus doing the hard work. Probably John chapter 13 is one of the ones that, that if you've been around church world, you're most familiar with is, is when the night that Jesus is betrayed, the night that he's gonna be put on trial, that he's having one last meal with his disciples and they, and they go into this room and 12 guys and Jesus are gonna eat this meal and Jesus notices that something has been neglected. Now in our culture, we would never even notice this, but back then, they lived in a culture where they didn't have Nikes, 
They didn't have closed shoes. They had, they had shoes that were sandals, right? They had open-toed shoes, right? You got to see everybody's nasty feet. Joel Petrie would have loved that culture, right? And they didn't have nice manicured yards like we have, you know, sidewalks and nice, you know, paved streets. Like, like I'll be just gross for a second. In that culture, most likely open sewage would run in these little troughs that they would have that would go along parallel with the roads. And, and most likely you would have to walk through it from time to time because there was animals everywhere. And they didn't have combustible engines like we have today. And, and so, so you'd walk through this nastiness like all day. And then you would go in to have dinner. And you didn't even sit on these high chairs at these high tables. Like back then, they would sit on the floor with like a low table. And so your feet would be really close to the food. And they go in this meal, 12 guys, men, dudes. Most of these are like teenagers. So there's already stank in the room, right? Anytime you get 12 teenage boys together, right? And Jesus notices that something was neglected. And what was neglected is anytime you'd have a gathering like this, somebody would wash the feet. Usually it was a servant. There would be a servant positioned at the door, and as you're walking in the door, they would take care of that duty. Now, if there wasn't a servant available, culture tells us that, it would be, that the assignment would be given to someone of lowest rank. Maybe economically. If they couldn't figure it out economically, they would figure it out by age. And so here is Jesus, the creator of the universe, the oldest one in the room, the rabbi, the mentor, the teacher, the leader, and he notices no one has washed the feet. And so what does he do? He takes off his outer garment, and he wraps a towel around him, and he gets a basin of water, and he stoops and he bends, and he goes to each one of those disciples, each one of those teenage guys and their nasty feet, and he begins to wash their feet. He even does it to Judas, which is really interesting to me. Someday I'm going to write a book, and the title's going to be Washing Judas' Feet. I'm still working on it. It's going to be another 50 years, but (laughs) we're going to get there. Jesus, now here's the deal with serving. I'm just going to speak from my own experience. Like, I mean, before I was paid to serve, like as a pastor, I can remember as a teenager getting involved in serving and, and, and it would always be like awkward and it would always be intimidating and you'd always go into those serving opportunities like, like wondering if you know enough, if you're doing it right, like what if someone asks you a question that you don't know the answer, like there would always be like this, this bit of angst to it, but you know what, at the end of the serving, there would always be a rush of man, I did that. that that's so cool, like, like I was able, God used me in, the, in, this, in this time, in this way. I want to challenge you, one of the ways that God wants to form you spiritually is through serving. And we hardly ever feel like doing it ahead of time. Maybe, maybe if it's a couple months ahead of time and there's a sign-up sheet, like we'll sign up. But as you get closer and closer, so many of you have experienced this where you go, oh man, do I have to do that? Why did I sign up to do that? I don't want to go. Can I tell you how many Sunday mornings Carrie has to wake me up and I go, I don't want to go. She says, you have to. You have to do it, right? Like, I, I, I'm just telling you, serving is one of these things that the enemy wants to fight. And we feel intimidated, and we don't feel like we're up to it. But can I tell you, the word of God gives us example after example after example of individuals who didn't feel like it, didn't feel like they were up to it, and God tapped them on the shoulder, and he called them anyhow. And I think of Abraham, who was too old. 
and Jacob, who was a chronic liar, and Joseph, who was in prison because he had been falsely accused of raping somebody. I think of Moses, who had a speech impediment, and Rahab, who was a prostitute, and Gideon, who was afraid and hiding, and Ruth, who was a foreigner with no money, and David, who was just a shepherd boy, and on and on we could go of people who felt like they didn't have what it takes. But it was through serving that their faith grew and that God used them in incredible ways. You know, sometimes it's just a matter of bringing to Jesus what you have. Uh, you know, sometimes it's just, Jesus, I don't, I don't feel like I'm educated particularly for this task. I don't feel like I have the energy level for this task. But Jesus, I will bring you what I have. There's a story in Matthew chapter 14 where Jesus has been teaching all day and he's out in the wilderness. He's out in no man's land. There's no fast food restaurants. There's no food trucks. There's no nothing. He's, he's out in the boonies and he's been teaching all day. And in John chapter 14, I think it begins in verse 15, Jesus' disciples come to Jesus. They say, hey, you got to send these people away. It's starting to, you know, the, the day's coming to an end and these people are going to be hungry and there's thousands of people. And if, if, if we don't figure out a, like a system, like Jesus, you need a system and it's obvious you don't have a system. Like we got we got to figure this out. Just send the people away. That's the best thing to do. And Jesus goes, no, I don't want to send them away. He goes, I want to feed them. Okay, Jesus, we're going to feed them. All right. I just did a little bit of quick math, Jesus, and there's at least 5,000 people in this crowd. In fact, probably you could double that number. How are we going to feed them? And Jesus, Jesus does this. He says, see what you got. Find, find me some food. The disciples start scurrying, and in John's gospel, I think it's John chapter 6, I might have that messed up, it says that Andrew, one of Jesus' disciples, found a boy who had a lunch. I'm just curious, is any, did anybody bring lunch with you today? Anybody have any lunch? Walter, did you really bring lunch? Come on, hop up here. This is my boy, Walter. You got some lunch here. What do you got? Do you mind me poking around your lunch? All right. Can of tuna? You like tuna? No, but. <laughs> Your mama doesn't love you then, huh? Got a roll, a second roll, a third roll, a fourth roll. You're hungry. Do you like rolls? Yeah. Probably with butter? Yeah. I don't see any butter in here. And then another can. So we have two cans of tuna and five rolls. Sounds pretty familiar to the story of Jesus. <laughs> hey, can you give it up for Walter? He's pretty awesome. Thanks, man, for your help. I'm going to keep your lunch. Is that all right? Is that all right if I keep your lunch? So, so there's literally, I mean, the, the, Andrew comes up with this boy, and there's the only one that they could find any who was actually prepared. One boy in the crowd is like prepared, right? And I mean, that's a pretty nice lunch, actually. And Jesus says, Jesus, bring me what you have. He says, just bring me what you have. And when they give Jesus what they have, in his hands, he multiplies it. And the whole crowd is fed, they get seconds, they get thirds if they want it, and they still have baskets and baskets left over at the end. Here, here's what I want to impress you with. Sometimes when we read the story, we think of it meaning possessions. I, I think God has put things in each of you. And you look at it and you go, well, that's nothing. And God goes, no, if you will give it to me, if you will put it in my hands, I want to do something with that. What, what do you What do you have? What do you have that you've been holding on to? Jesus says, just bring me what you have. Just bring me what you have. Here's what I know that every person in this room has. We all have time. 
You know, me and Elon Musk have the same thing in common. We each have the same amount of time this next week. We've all got the same amount of time. Here's the thing. What if we would bring just some of the time that God has entrusted to us and say, God, I'm going to give you some of this time you've entrusted to me. I want to serve you with this time. We all have experiences in this room. And we're going to talk in a few minutes about some, some of those experiences are good, some of those experiences are not so good. But we can bring those experiences and say, God, this is what I have. Good, bad, ugly, this is what I got. And God will use that. We all in this room have different talents and abilities. You say, I don't have any talents. Bull. Yes, you do. You, you have, now a lot of times we don't recognize it in ourselves, just like these characters from the Bible that we were just talking about. Gideon didn't think that he had any talents. And God says, oh yes you do, because I put them in you. I know you, I love you, I created you. What happens if we, if we take these talents and abilities and experiences, and maybe it's education, and maybe it's even spiritual giftings, and maybe it's passions and heart, uh, their heart races for certain issues. When we bring these things, and Jesus says, just, just give me what you got. When we bring these things to God, God is able to do extraordinary things in and through us. And it shapes us spiritually, and it grows our faith, and it causes us to become more holy. Just bringing what we have. Andy Stanley says this. He says, if we or the people in our churches ever get to the place where we are willing to make what we have available to God, amazing things will happen. And I love this, and after the dust settles, everybody's faith will be bigger. We want, we want to, God, I increase my faith. God, increase my faith, increase my faith. And God says, we'll serve. I don't want to serve. I want somebody else to do that. God says, I want to increase your faith. But it starts with serving. And, I, and I'll tell you, man, I get, to, I get a front row seat to see this. And I'm going to brag for a moment. I know I do this a lot. And some of you probably roll your eyes at this. But I see this in my own family. I see this with my kids. I see this with my parents. I see my oldest is a junior in high school. And, and he's an introvert, so you'll never see him up on the platform doing something. But he'll be back in that little closet room that we call online church. And he's picking the camera angles. And that's, that's his way every week of serving. Kate, now, she likes being up on the platform. And when she's not up here singing, she's back in the student center teaching the kids. Kara, who's not even, she's our preteen. This is something a lot of you guys don't know. For the last two years, when we take communion every month, did you know that it is elementary school kids and middle school kids who 100% put together all the communion? They fill all the little cups. They, they put all the little oyster crackers on the trays. That, that's all done. Yeah. We, we've asked different adult groups to do it, and they always tell us that they can't. Honest truth. And our elementary school kids and middle school kids will come early and get it done. Like, I, I, think, about, I think about my parents, and he, I didn't know that he would do this, but every time my dad walks through the doors, my dad's going to be 70 this year. You probably appreciate me saying that. Every, t- every time he walks through the doors, and I see him wearing that shirt that he's wearing right now. He's wearing a Journey Kids shirt. I know that means that he's going to the back to, to serve in the nursery. He doesn't have to. It's not, not his. He could say, I'm way past that season of life. I don't have to do that anymore, right? My mom in the second service, you'll see her in the back, and she'll have a laptop, and you'll be like, why is the pastor's mom, like, on YouTube? She's, she's hosting our online services. I, I'm telling, like, like we, we don't just preach. Like, we, we as a family live this because we want to be formed spiritually. 
We know that what God does inside of us as we serve. And, and I, I don't, I, I don't want to guilt you because the Bible talks about, in particular, giving financially out of guilt. And the Bible says don't do that. And I think the same principle applies to serving. I don't want you to serve because the pastor made you feel guilty. I want you to serve because you say, I want to be made holy. I want, I want my faith to increase. And can I tell you that, that we have such an incredible church where in most cases, we only ask people to serve one service once a month. In fact, I was talking to Lisa, our administrative assistant this week, and she was saying, you know what, if everybody at Journey Church would serve one service, it would have to be like twice a month. Or I mean, once every two or three months. I totally butchered that one. We'll get it right in the second service. Like, I, I just, I just want to encourage you, like, no one is too young, and no one is too old to serve. We want to see our kids serving as early as possible. We want, we want to see, don't go, well, I'm too old to serve. No, there's ways that you can serve. We'll find ways that you can serve. Why? Because it's not about us. It's about our community. We want to reach our community, and in order to do that, it takes more than one person. It takes all of us giving and serving and, and doing everything we can for the kingdom of God. So, so the fourth way, when you think about the towel, is serving. And by the way, if, if, you're, if you're sitting here and you're, maybe, maybe God's convicting you right now and you're saying, I, I need to get involved in serving. Maybe I've served in the past or maybe I haven't served. Maybe I was part of a church and I've got some church hurt stuff going on and so I haven't been serving. Man, I just want to challenge you to, to get in the game and say, hey, I'm ready to serve. On the back of your connection card, just write us a note. Maybe there's several areas that you're interested in in serving. I'll tell you, we always have need in our kids' areas. Nursery, preschool, elementary school age, we always have need. We, we almost always have need for safety team and greeters. We can hardly ever have enough greeters. By the way, I hope you realize that everybody who calls Journey Church your home church is a greeter every week. Every week, I hope that you take it upon yourself that there's someone around you that you don't know and you get here early, that you're, you're going and introducing yourself, you're welcoming people, you're thanking them for coming. We, we can all be greeters, but, but, but these, these are areas that it seems like it seems like all the time we're looking for help. So if you can, if you can jot something on the back of your connection card and, and you're interested in that, we can do that. So, so we've talked about all these different ways that God forms us. I, I want to talk about one last area. And this is, if you, if you, you're not going to be able to see this, so it's not going to be as, as cool. But God, God forms us through the experiences we've gone through in life. Life events. God forms us. I have, I have in my backpack, this is one of, most, one of my most prized possessions. It is a 10-year journal. Jo- Joanne Dar actually got this for me uh, about four years ago. And what it is is every day, there's, there's about five lines, and it started in 2018, and it goes all the way to 2028. And I get about four lines, and I, and I write just, just a few lines of what happened that day. And what's cool is now when I go to, well, my bookmark's in here. I, I can, I'm not going to read them to you because some of these would be weird. Um, but, but I can go to January 30th, and I can look at Tuesday, 2018, and Wednesday, 2019, and Thursday, 2020, and Saturday, 2021. And, I can, and, I, and, I, and as I write in for 2022, I go back and I read the last few years. And as I read the last few years, I go, sometimes I go, oh, man, look at the faithfulness of God. And sometimes I read them and I go, oh man, that was painful. <laughs> that really hurt. I didn't think I was going to get through that. I didn't think our church was going to get through that. But now I hardly even remember it. 
Like, like, like it's perspective, like life events. But you know what I've, I've found as a pastor? That life events will shape you and form you spiritually. They, will, they, they can, I, I'll say this, they have the potential of making you holy, to causing you to look more and more like Jesus. In fact, when you look back to your life and you think about seasons where you've grown spiritually, you will probably point to a, a time in your life, a season in your life, that was either difficult or maybe that was memorably good. Maybe it could be a good life event. Maybe it's getting accepted into a certain college or getting married or being offered a new job or having a baby. For many, our faith grows during painful life events. The death of a family member or a loved one or a divorce or a long illness or a job transfer. There, there, could, be, there could be so many different things that we, that we go through. Life has a potential to impact our faith for good or for bad. But you know what I found in, in 20, 22 years or so of pastoring? It isn't the event itself that grows our faith or that erodes our faith. Rather, it is our interpretation of the event that determines which way we'll go. We each interpret the world in a different way. Is your worldview shaped by a strong faith and trust and dependency upon God? Or is your worldview shaped upon your own experiences and your own emotions and the opinions of the people around you? How do you view God? For many of us, even, even in the midst of American Christianity, for many of us, and we would never articulate this out loud, but we view God as some kind of cosmic vending machine. That if I, if I just type in the numbers in the right order and I put in my credit card and, and I do all this, that the right results will come. If I do X and Y and Z, then I can expect this outcome. That he will give me what I want. Or do I recognize that God, in his word, tells us that he's not going to keep bad things from happening to good people. But instead, he's going to use those things to strengthen their faith and draw their attention to him. See, the Bible doesn't sugarcoat life. There's significant people of God who suffered, and suffered in ways that honestly make no sense to me. I think of Matthew chapter 11 where Jesus is teaching and he's, he's just doing incredible things. He's, he's healing people. He's performing miracles. I mean, he is the man of the hour. And it says in Matthew chapter 11, John the Baptist, and then there's this prepositional phrase. There's this phrase here. Actually, it's not a prepositional phrase, but I just butchered that. But it says John the Baptist, and then there's this phrase, who was in prison? Would you say that phrase with me? Who was in prison? John the baptizer, John the donkey man, John who actually kicked off Jesus' public ministry. He was a catalyst. He's the one who baptized Jesus in the Jordan River and they heard a voice and they saw a dove. And I mean, it was like, oh, like Jesus. And this is his start. He's 30 years old and he's starting his ministry. John was the one there for that. But now John is in prison. It says, John the Baptist, who was in prison, heard about all the things the Messiah was doing, all the things that Jesus was doing. So he sent his disciples, or his friends, his followers, to ask Jesus. And here's the question. I want you to hear the question that John the Baptizer is asking of Jesus. He says, are you, Jesus, are you the Messiah we've been expecting, or should we keep looking for someone else? 
You know, just in that question, you can sense the hurt. Jesus, I'm hearing all about your life. Man, you, you got the life of a, of a rock star right now. People are coming to you by the thousands. They used to, oh, by the way, come to me by the thousands. But they're coming to you, and, and I hear about how you're doing all this great stuff, and prisoners are being, being set free, and captives are being released, and, and you're healing people, and you're performing miracles. Jesus, just so, I just want to remind you, I'm your cousin. I'm the one who started this all off. I'm in prison. Like, are you really the Messiah? Or should we just keep looking? Listen, he wasn't even in a very nice prison. Culture will tell us that 2,000 years ago, these kinds of prisons, there was no fluorescent lighting, no janitors coming in every day and, and cleaning, nobody even providing them meals. They had, were 100% dependent on family and friends to come and bring them food to eat. In, in Matthew 11, verse 4, Jesus says this to John's friends, to, to John's followers. Jesus told them, go back to John and tell him what you have heard and seen. The blind see, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. And he added, and here's the line, God blesses those who do not fall away because of me. What? John, I'm not, I'm not, there's no get out of jail free card. You're, you're not going to get sprung. In fact, spoiler alert, John will shortly after have his head chopped off for doing right, for speaking truth to power, for doing exactly what God had called him to do. See, I know this isn't the sermon you want to hear. Good things don't always happen to good people. And here's the kicker. Bad things don't always happen to bad people. Sometimes good things happen to bad people. And sometimes bad things happen to good people. And I don't like that. And I get angry at God about that. It frustrates me. But you know what? It's one of the ways that God grows me if I will allow it to grow me. I see people draw near to God in events like this, and I see a whole lot of people head for the hills and distance themselves from God. Are you going through a difficult life event? You, you don't have to acknowledge that in any way, just keep staring forward. Maybe in your marriage, it's difficult right now. Maybe with one of your kids or grandkids, life is just really difficult, maybe at work, Maybe you're walking with a physical issue in your body that you just, you cry out to God, God, would you just either take this away or take me? I can't handle this. Can I challenge you to hold on to Jesus? Don't distance yourself. Go to him with your questions and doubts and frustrations and anger. And this is one of the reasons why I, I so love this story about John is Jesus doesn't say, that man of horrible faith how dare you ask me a question like that? I'm your cousin. You baptized me. You know that I'm the Messiah. You're the one who said, you know, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Like, John, why are you so fickle? 
What's wrong with you? You're messed up, bro. No, in fact, he praises him. If you keep reading the passage, he says, there's no one like John. You know, you can go to God with your complaints. You can, actually, it's called prayer, by the way. Prayer, if you look at the prayers of David, David prays some, like, R-rated prayers. You should read your Bible. Go to the Psalms and read some of the things that David prayed. Go to God with your questions. David did. John did. Go to him with your frustrations. Go to him with your anger. Draw near to him. Put people of faith around you. Watch who and what you listen to during difficult seasons. And maybe here's a prayer for you, and I think we put this in your notes. Here's a prayer. God, I choose to hold on to you during the season. I don't like it. I wish it wasn't going on. But I trust you. Use this circumstance for your glory and grow me through it. I want to look more like you. Here's kind of, the, the way I want to close this is, my, my son has a, an Oculus. I don't know, have you guys heard of an Oculus before? These things are crazy, okay? This isn't like your, this isn't like the 10-year-old, you know, you remember back when they had these, these um, clunky devices that you would put your phone into? Any of you guys remember those? Some of them were even made out of cardboard. Now these things, I remember the first time Kyle just got this, I don't know, all right, you're not my wife. <laughs> I'm looking over at she doesn't know. I don't know, several. <laughs> Poor Meg. This is Meg, by the way. <laughs> Kyle's uh, got a job at Walmart, and so he's making all this money, and he spends it on stuff I would never spend my money on. But he got this Oculus in a, a couple months ago, and, and one day, you know, he's going around the house with this thing on, and, well, not all over the house, but because you would trip and die. Uh, well, he says, Dad, you, I, there's this, there's this uh, game I want, you, I want you to put this on. And I remember when I put this thing on. I don't even know if I can do it right here. You put this thing on, and I'm telling you, you are now like in a whole new world. <laughs> it, it is insane inside this world. And you, you can look up and down. I mean, you, you're, you're now, and these things are only going to get like crazier and crazier, by the way. Already the new generation is going to come out. Like I'm, I'm in this whole different world now and if I have the controls on my hands I can see my hands and it knows when I'm stepping and what happens is we create this reality and and we create we create God in this picture of God and we create this version of other people and how they should act and how they re should respond to us and, and how we should respond to them. And, and can I tell you, like, like, you can create this reality and how you see God, I gotta take this off. <laughs> Whoa. When you take this set off, sometimes it's a good thing and then sometimes you're like, oh, this is reality. Can I tell you, we are all walking around with a set of lenses on. We are all walking around with a perspective of God. And can I tell you, for most of us, our, most of us, our perspective of God is mostly right. But we can't help but bring issues from our lives and maybe issues from our own parents into how we view God. And we picture other people and we respond to other people. 
I think what God is asking of us is, would you put down your set of lenses? And would you allow me to show you the reality that I have? Would you allow me to show you who I really am through my word? Would you allow me to show you who others in your life really are? But to do it, you gotta take off the set of lenses. Can I ask you to stand? We've been talking about different ways that God shapes us. How he ultimately, he wants to make us holy. He wants to take us from the average and mundane and set us apart for a noble purpose. He loves you. He loves you. He cares about you. He cares about your relationships. He cares about your, your life. He, he, wants to, he wants to form you into the person that he knows that you can be because he created you that way. But can I tell you for so much of this, we've talked about reading the word of God and we've talked about personal disciplines and we've talked about key relationships and we've talked about serving and we've talked about life events and all of these are ways that God wants to shape us and make us holy. But you know what requires taking off our set of lenses and saying, God, I'm open to you. I give you permission, God, to shape me, to make me holy. And not only do I give you permission, God, I want to be a participant. I want to cooperate with you in this. And it, it requires a step. The first step is salvation. The first step is, God, I've screwed this thing up and I've sinned against you and I'm broken and I'm helpless and I don't have what it takes. God, I need you. I need the cross. What Jesus did on the cross when he died for me. And on the third day when he was raised from the grave, I, I need Jesus, I need his power, I need his forgiveness in my life. Come and lead me, forgive me, empower me. That, that's, that's the first step that I take. But the second step that I take is just as important. The second step is saying, today, God, I cooperate with you. And then the next day, God, today, I want to cooperate with you. And then the next day, God, today, I want to cooperate with you. Shape me through your word. Shape me through these personal disciplines. Shape me through key relationships. Shape me through serving. Shape me even through these life events, good, bad, or ugly. God, shape me. And then the next day, I wake up and I say, God, today, I cooperate with you. Do you get the picture? It's, it's ongoing. It's every day, God, shape me. And I don't arrive in this lifetime. I don't ever get to a point where I go, whoo, I did it. Alice Root, I have arrived. I, I'm, a, I'm awesome. Like I really am God's gift to this earth. That never happens. But one day I open my eyes and I'm in a reality that I didn't create. And it's not this reality. It's the heavenly reality, the righteous reality, the truest of the true realities. And I stand before my heavenly father he says, well done. Well done. Well done. You received my righteousness through Christ, and you walked in my righteousness, and you kept in step with my spirit, and you allowed me to form you. And look at, look at the fruit that was produced in and through your life. Look at the lives that were affected. Well done. Well done. So this morning, before we close, maybe you need to step out. Sometimes we just need to step out. Sometimes we just need to take a step from the reality that we've created and we just need to take those lenses off and take a step toward Christ. And I don't know what that would look like for you. Maybe it's the first step. Maybe for you in this room, you need to take a first step of 
of humbling yourself and receiving the forgiveness of Jesus. Maybe for you it's just a, God, I've gotten sidetracked a little. I've allowed this life, I've allowed politics, I've allowed all the stuff on TV, I've allowed relationships, I've allowed stuff at work, I've, I've allowed it to sidetrack me, and God, I'm taking a step toward you. Maybe it's a step toward one of these five ways that God wants to form us, and you're saying, God, today I just want to, there's a life event, and I distance myself from you, and today I come back to you. Maybe for you, it's, God, you've been, you've been nudging me to serve, and, and I've, been, I've, I've been making excuses, and I'm going to take a step toward you, just, God, I, I say yes to you. So if, I don't know what it is for you, but if you feel like the Spirit's nudging you that you need to make a step this morning, would you just make a step up to the altar this morning? This is the awkward part where you go, well, I kind of do, but nobody else is. So I'll maybe wait, or maybe I can just pray from my seat. You know, sometimes in the Bible, God talks about taking a step. For, for Abraham, he was in a tent, and God said, go outside the tent. Take a step, because I'm going to show you something. If God's calling you to take a step, would you come? Anybody else? You guys are so loved. You're so loved. I'm going to ask some mature believers. You're not, you're, you haven't arrived because we don't have any of those people in our church. But you're maybe a few steps ahead and, and God's brought you through some stuff. If, if you would come and just, if I could have some guys over here with these guys and ladies with some of these ladies, just put a hand on their shoulder. We don't need to be weird. Just, hey, can I, can I pray with you? Can I pray for you? for all of us, all of us in this room, can we just pray a prayer of commitment to Jesus? Jesus, I surrender to you. I'm all in with you, Jesus. God, help me to see through your reality. Not through my own reality. God, I want, I want to see through your reality. I want to see the way that you see. I want to see others the way that you see them. I want to see you the way that you really are. Not just the way that I've shaped a reality of you. God, I'm asking that you would do in me what only you can do. Help me to prioritize your word. Help me to engage in personal disciplines. Help me to put people around me that are a couple steps ahead of me in this journey of following you that would be key relationships in my life. God, help me to go beyond myself in serving others and serving this community. God, use these life events, good, bad, ugly. God, use them in my life to draw me to yourself that I would look more like you. God, we want to be like you. We want to be like you. Form us into your image. Oh God, make us holy. Set us apart for your purposes, oh God. May you be glorified in and through us, we pray. In Jesus' name.
Hey, as they continue to pray, thank you for being a part of our service today. Make sure you come back next week. We actually have a rock star guest speaker. Matt Anderson is one of my favorite people in the universe. We haven't had him at Journey in years. Uh, he speaks all over the nation. And so you want to be, or in fact, invite a friend next week to hear Matt. Uh, he is, God uses him so powerfully. So that'll be next week. And then uh, we'll be starting a brand new series after that. God bless you guys. Have a great week. We'll see you later.